Carolina is heading back to the Final Four. Setting up a dream matchup with Duke. And the fairy tale run for St. Peter's comes to an end. That was the voice of the great Iron Eagle on CBS Sports calling the end of an historic run by the St. Peter's Peacocks, one that has never been done before by a 15 seed in the NCAA tournament. My name is Brian DiNovellis, but we are just going to get started here on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Thanks for listening. We're going to talk about St. Peter's and the run that they made and the man who had a front row seat for all of the games on CBS Sports along with Ian Eagle, Jim Spinarco. We'll get to him in just a couple of minutes. We're going to talk about the Final Four and what a matchup it is with four Blue Bloods, Kentucky, Villanova, North Carolina, and Duke. Can Duke give Coach K a sixth national championship? I feel like the country is divided on this. I'm not going to call it 50-50 split, but either you are for Duke and you think he's going to do it, or you're totally against them, and no way do I want to see Duke win another national championship. I'm willing to bet more of the country is on that side of the opinion. But either way, I believe Saturday is going to be must-watch TV around 9.30 p.m., the second game of that Final Four doubleheader in New Orleans. All right, we're going to get to that and St. Peter's with a man who is Jersey City through and through. It's now my pleasure to welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast a man who's living proof you can take the kid out of Jersey City, but you can't take the Jersey City out of the kid. I'm talking about Hudson Catholic's own Jim Spinarkle. Jim, thanks for joining me on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So just a little bit on your background for our listeners. You're one of the greatest players ever to come out of Jersey City. Hudson Catholic with Michael Corrin. You start at Duke, two-time All-American. And the fir- I didn't know this, the first Duke player ever to score 2,000 points at the school, Jim. That, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Yeah, I played uh, four years down at Duke, actually. I think, I think it was the first one to start as a freshman, uh, player to start as a freshman, because you know years before I got there, the freshman eligibility wasn't in there. Um, so I was eligible to play as a freshman, played all four years. Um, it was a great, a great run in terms of our team and uh, experience and for me as a, an individual and a student athlete. And you played with some great players with Gene Banks and uh, I knew Mike Jaminski being a Connecticut guy myself. Boy, that, that, that was a great team that lost to Kentucky in the national championship game, Jim. Yeah, we had a, a good run that year because, um, you know, you, you get lucky every so often. You get a bounce here and there. Um, but, you know, my junior year in 1978, um, we, we started probably playing for the last 10 games of the year. I would say we caught fire and got better and better each game. Um, recognized that we were a pretty good team, and you know we caught the we caught the country off guard a little bit like St. Peter's this year. You know nobody knew of us, nobody expected us to win and get to the finals, and uh, kind of like St. Peter's, nobody expected St. Peter's to get where they were. And um, you know it was fun because you know it wasn't like there was a high expectation. It was 
bunch of guys just playing basketball and things falling into place. And unfortunately, we came up a little short with Kentucky, but it's a, you know, it, it was a year that, you know, guys on our team still stay in touch with. We're very close. And uh, it's, it's like St. Peter's is going to have, they're going to have memories for years to come. That's really what it's all about. Like you said, the friendships, the memories. And uh, I'm glad to hear you guys, you know, are still tight and, and staying in touch. You know, since then, Jim, you, you've, you've called countless, countless of college basketball games and NBA games with the Nets. You're one of the top college basketball analysts in television. You called all four of St. Peter's games with Ian Eagle. That's pretty amazing. So you had a front row seat for this historic journey, Jim. What was it like watching them take down Kentucky and Murray State, then Purdue? Well, interesting enough, Brian, when you, when you get your assignments, it's kind of it's not like, okay, St. Peter's is here. I happen to be from Jersey City and, you know, CBS and TNT are going to sign me that game. It's there a whole lot more goes into it than that, right? There's, so I was lucky, really lucky that I was assigned uh, Indianapolis where St. Peter's happened to be. Uh, so with that said, um, so we get St. Peter's and it's going to be a treat for me because, you know, being a Jersey City kid doing a St. Peter's uh Jersey City NCAA tournament game, and I'll just start like saying one game. Um, it was fun knowing the people involved with the uh, with the with the school. Um, but then you know when you look at it and you say, okay, they're matched up against Kentucky, and you you know you try to be realistic and objective about it, and you say, okay, Kentucky on paper should win this game, and Kentucky will advance. But you know St. Peter's came out, and Shaheen Holloway had a great game plan and the way they played, um, and they just kind of came out as if they were a bunch of loosey-goosey type kids playing in, a, in the in the playground and um, had, a, had a terrific win against Kentucky. And then you, I start to think, okay, that was fabulous from a broadcaster standpoint. They give you a good game in one that you might not expect it's going to be a good game. And then the second game, we move on to Murray State, and there's a little bit of that too. You know, okay, St. Peter's won their first game. Maybe the adrenaline is still flowing, but uh, the expectations not there, which they were not. And they came out and just kind of playing for fun again. And it, uh, they really played well against Murray State. And so we were two for two in terms of getting great St. Peter's basketball games. And then we advanced to Purdue, and it was just like, okay, now you got a big team. You know, they got a player in Ivy who's a great player. They got Williams and uh, Edie and, and, and who play up front. Can St. Peter's handle their size, their quickness, and more importantly, their strength and power underneath the, and underneath the basket? And sure enough, they give us another great, and not just us, but everybody in the country pours on and says, okay, this is a terrific story. I'm going to watch and uh, have some fun with St. Peter's. So not only does St. Peter's give everybody on their team and the school and, and the city fun, I think across the country, when you start looking at the numbers of viewers, there are a lot of people who are finding out who St. Peter's is and, and what they're doing and what the storyline was. What impressed you the most about that team? Because let's face it, they're not full of McDonald's All-Americans on that team. You know, and how were they able to play at such a high level against athletes and players that are supposed to be much better than them? Yeah, I, I think, Brian, there are a lot of cliches in sports, you know, you know, play it, play who you are, be who you are, don't don't get out of your lane, things like that. And I and I think you can almost say that, you know, halfway through the season, Shaheen Holloway really directed this team from a defensive standpoint, made some adjustments and tweaks and did a great job with that. So they hung their hat on their defensive end. And I think one of the other um, parts of that is that, you know, they quote unquote, another cliche is that defense can travel. 
so yes, when you look at their roster, they had nine guys, give or take, who played a bunch of minutes, you know, 10 plus minutes. They distributed the minutes um, pretty nicely across the starters and their subs, and they stuck to their guns. I mean, they came out, they played defense, they were not in a hurry to go anywhere at the offensive end, and they just challenged and played as a team. You know, I, I often say that, you know, basketball is like the five fingers on your hand. You know, when your hand moves, you want five fingers to move in unison, and they were kind of like the same way, you know. They were like a hand when they, they all knew where every every finger was they knew where every player was supposed to be not only offensively when they had it going but they also uh defensively they were really locked in in terms of being well prepared and uh sticking to their assignments especially when they went to that matchup zone that they played a couple of times man that that is so true because you could put all the talent in the world on a team and unless everybody is on the same page and believing in each other and trusting in each other you know you can't have that one that one sheep or that one calf that wanders off, right? Because it, it can break what you're doing. That's, that's exactly right. And I think they were, they were a very, very good example of a group of guys who just bought into the system, you know, had talent, no question about that, um, and just believed in themselves as a team and, you know, kind of like, okay, we're here. We're not going to be intimidated. Why, why be intimidated? Because we're not supposed to win anyway. So if we lose to Kentucky, so be it. We got to the NCAA tournament. If we lose to Murray State, same thing. We won one game. You know, and then all of a sudden, next thing they know, they're playing against North Carolina North Carolina after three wins. It was a, it's a remarkable story. And then, uh, yeah, they made history in the NCAA tournament for sure. And you had a front row seat for it all. So, so Jim, you, you, you grew up, you're as Jersey City as they come. How many times have you driven past what used to be called the Yanatelli Center, now Run Baby Run Arena? Uh, you've probably played there. So for those people who haven't, been in that arena or you know experienced it compare that to a scene in north carolina in the dean dome or at rupp arena and just put into words you know how how amazing it is what what they've done well i've been fortunate by you know i grew up three three blocks away from st peter's so when i was in college during the summers and when I was playing pro ball during the summers, St. Peter's was kind enough to let me use their gymnasium. So I jokingly say to people that I probably spent more time in that gymnasium playing basketball than everybody that went to St. Peter's <laughs> except for those who played basketball at St. Peter's. I just was there, was so convenient and at a great facility. But that's one of the, I think, one of the storylines about this. You know, you get St. Peter's who played it in, in their gymnasium, and I don't know the exact numbers, but you know it's probably hundreds of people that would come and watch their games in, in the in the uh, in the Yamatelli Run Baby Run Center, and now all of a sudden they're finding themselves in Indianapolis playing in front of I'm just picking numbers now eighteen thousand and and then in Philadelphia close to eighteen if not more maybe closer to twenty thousand people so right. The first part of that, you would think, hey, we've never really played in front of 20,000 people. Forget about the fact that there are 10 million people watching the St. Peters-Purdue game uh, in the Sweet 16 on television. And they never let any of that rattle themselves, rattle them as a team. So I think that was one of the unique parts about it is that these guys went to a stage that should rattle young guys who've never been there before. But to a man, and I said this to Ian Eagle, my play-by-play -play partner, I said, you know, going into the third game against Purdue, one of the things that's impressed me was, you know, you have the big stage here, which should be rattling these kids. And I'm looking at them even in warm-ups, 
And I said, they do not look like they're rattled by this, this, this opportunity or situation that they find themselves in. So I think that was a, a real tip of the hat to Shaheen and the team to be able to re- react to the big crowds and not let that affect them, nor let the tournament affect them, nor let the TV affect them. Uh, it's just amazing. Uh, the, the free throws they hit, 19 out of 21 to beat Purdue. And look, obviously it, it came crashing to an end against North Carolina, unfortunately. For the city itself, Jersey City, I know you don't live there anymore, but it's still in your blood. Uh, can you describe what it means for that community, that college, that city? I, th- I think it was uh beyond great, fantastic, or whatever word you want to use, you probably could multiply it by even some factor and what it, what it did for Jersey City. The thing I remember about Jersey City, Brian, when I was a player in college and, and, and pros, Jersey City always kind of, quote unquote, know, remember who their own are. And uh, yeah. they latch on, they support, and it's a loyal city from that perspective. So, um, you know, when you think about what it's done for this, the school, I mean, it's magnified them there's no really if i backtrack and say there's no way of knowing what the value of doing what they just did from a let's call it a marketing or advertising budget standpoint because how do you pay for an advertising campaign that had 10 million people seeing the name saint peter's university on tv on a friday night um in the sweet 16. there's no way to put a value on that in my opinion but what it has done for the for this school is that Nationally, it's helped, and I think locally, and you know, let's call it the metropolitan area and states around here, has put them in a position where they hopefully can, can attract more students, more basketball players, more of everything coverage going forward, um, more more support from their alumni base, their boosters. So, so many things go into a run like what they've had. So, it's great for the school and, and overall for the city. And I've had friends of mine, you know, text, texting me that I haven't heard in, from in a while, just saying, you know, across the board, just uh, paraphrasing just how great this is and hopefully they can keep it going and just how, how surprised everybody was. And I think that's the best part about it is when you do something like this and it's expected of you, okay, so they, they have expectations, they've made it to where they're supposed to be. But when nobody's expecting it and you come out of nowhere and make a run like this, the surprise factor just helps to build the attention, the enthusiasm, the support across the board, not only from their school, from their alumni, but also people from Jersey City. Even if they don't live in Jersey City, they recognize what the St. Peter's University has done for the city. Without question. And, and you're right. I've come across, I live in Middlesex County. I live right next to Monmouth County, and there are a lot of former, you know, Jersey City people, Hudson County people who were down there, and they all, you know, they'd never forget their roots. They are so connected that I think of, you know, icons like Jim Haig and, and Ed Ford, the FA, and even a, a colleague of mine at News 12 who I used to work with, Mark Lillis, I mean, on cloud nine, who went to St. Peter's. Um, the joy that it's brought them, uh, the brotherhood of, of connecting to Jersey City, is priceless. They're going to remember this forever. Yeah, and I saw that with people like that, people that you know, people that you mentioned with Jim Haig, who I've known a long time. Um, you know, my wife went to St. Peter's. I have two brothers who went to St. Peter's. My father-in-law. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, there's not enough time on this uh, for this interview for me to start to list. I don't even know what the number is of how many people I would know that are. Uh, that have gone to St. Peter's, but 
Right. Um, let's just say it, it's a lot. And all of them, the ones that I know personally, were very into the whole St. Peter's run. It was amazing, you know, quite candidly, probably haven't watched St. Peter's play basketball in years, but <laughs> all of a sudden you get to the NCAA tournament and it's like a new, it's a new book that just hit the bestseller list. Oh, it, it, and it is. And, and the whole country was reading that book and following it chapter by chapter because you, you can barely find them on ESPN+. Plus. Come on. So, all right, Jim, let, let's talk about the Final Four because they're calling it, you know, the bluest of blue bloods Final Four. I'm, I'm sure, look, you could put Kentucky in there too if, if, you know, that's another team that's missing or UCLA. But the four teams, Kansas, Villanova, the first semifinal, followed by your alma mater, Duke, and UNC. I mean, it, it's a dream matchup. Right? Duke, UNC for the first time ever. Who would have thought they've never played each other in an NCAA tournament game? And you're one of the greatest players to ever wear a Duke uniform. What can you say about this matchup and how excited are you? Uh, it, it's going to be a great Final Four. I mean, you know, just starting with the Duke North Carolina game, um, you know, it, both of them won on their uh, away games this year. Duke went into Carolina and beat them pretty badly. And then Carolina comes back and ruins Coach K's final home game uh, party. And I will say this. It's interesting that both of them seem to be playing probably as well. I don't, I'm not sure it's the best basketball, but it's pretty close to the best basketball in the last three weeks or so that each of them have played this season. I know for a fact, you know, you know, Duke is starting to come together, has come together as a defensive team and offensively they're sharing the ball, so they're very confident. Carolina has been playing great basketball, um, you know, indicative of their wins against UCLA and St. Peter's. Just, you know, once again, the St. Peter's didn't come out and really get going early, but that's because North Carolina didn't let them get going. So right. North Carolina's been playing well. I think on the, you know, to, to pick that one, I, I'm not sure who's going to win it because it's so much, so emotional. So much traditions, you know, 10 miles apart from one another in Carolina. It's just, a, it's just a game that will have eyeballs all over it. And I think the Kansas-Villanova game is going to be interesting because, you know, Villanova unfortunately loses one of their top players. I think Moore is the second leading scorer for them. Um, just a glue guy, a post-up guy, a defender. How they adjust on the fly in three and a half, well, it's four days or so once they start practicing. How do they make up for that? How do they adjust to that? Jay Wright knows what he's doing. There's no question about it. But I think this one is a difficult one. I think if it was in the middle of the season and you're playing maybe a lower-level team, you could work out some of the kinks, but you're on a big stage against Kansas, who is playing very, very well going to be difficult for Villanova so I think I and just that one I'm just because of that injury I right. think the edge to Kansas there the other one I have you know your guess is as good as mine <laughs> who wins the Carolina Duke game I think you're right about both I think it's a coin flip uh it was Tommy Amerker who Tommy Amerker who I remember saying it years ago it doesn't matter how well you play before the tournament it matters how well you play once it once you get there that's what St. Peter's did. North Carolina is a team that lost to Pitt this year. And boy, they may be playing better than any of these Final Four teams, and they're all playing at a high level, Jim. Yeah, and the thing I might differ with that is just a little bit. I, I believe that it's like the, the three to six games before the postseason begins that you start to build the continuity. Okay. I think if you look back at any of these teams, you look at you know, all four of these teams in the Final Four, now, once again, there are outliers like St. Peter's, you know, maybe they, they picked it up during the MAC uh, tournament. 
But by and large, the teams that are getting to this Final Four, if you look back and look at their last 10 games, for example, mm. I think you'll see a, a trend line of, of winning. You know, maybe they didn't win all of their games like Carolina. They got they lost in the ACC tournament, but I think Carolina is probably like won 10 out of their last 11, something like uh, 18 out of their last 21 games if you go back that far. Duke has been doing the same thing. Um, so I, I think if you look at 10 games, which would be about five games before the NCAAs begin, I think you start building that foundation of good, solid, competitive basketball. Okay, I, I, I would definitely agree with that. Certainly the last 10, you're right. You're yeah. building that momentum, and, and that's key. Um, so two more questions for me, Jim. Where will you be watching the game? Are you, are you one of those guys who watches it alone, don't bother me, or are you going to be around other Duke alums or your family? Uh, probably my family at this point. I'm not going to go to the games themselves, but uh, I'm sure somebody in the family will want to get together and put the television on, get some food, and uh, off we go for a night of basketball. Can Can you tell me, does Coach K ride off into the sunset with a sixth national championship? What What would that mean? Oh, it would be fabulous. I mean, what a storyline that would be. It would be like a dream come true for him and, and the kids on the team, the university. Um, you know, anything's possible right now. I always look at this Final Four and I say, okay, pick each team. And I say, can Duke beat Carolina? Can Duke beat Kansas? And can Duke beat Villanova? And I think the answer is yes there. Um, I think if you look at Carolina, you could say the same thing. Uh, Kansas, you could say the same thing. I would normally say Villanova could do that. They're probably the one right now that's uh, a little bit of that outlier because of that injury, that they will have to have things fall into place a little better than the other three. Okay. Jim Spernarco, phenomenal stuff. I, I could listen to you for hours and days talking college hoops. Uh, you're, you're an encyclopedia and just a wealth of knowledge, and, and I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. Right, my pleasure. Happy to do it. And, uh, you know, it was a great run, a great year for St. Peter's. And uh, we got another weekend of basketball, so let's enjoy. Absolutely. We're both going to be enjoying it with the rest of the country. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Wow. Phenomenal. Jim Spinarkle is not a person who does this full time. He has another full time job. This is a hobby for him, a second job, a second career that he has mastered for 30 plus years. Just phenomenal stuff. And, and you heard what he said about Jersey City and that community. And if you're not from Hudson County, if you're not from Jersey City, you can appreciate it, but you really don't understand. Enrollment will be up, applications will be up at St. Peter's. Uh, I mean, he has family members, countless family members who have gone there. We all know somebody or know someone who went there and the advertising, the revenue that it is doing for that community and that university is priceless. The final four, I am so looking forward to these games. I really wish Justin Moore was healthy for Villanova because they would have a legitimate shot to win it all. Would it shock me if Villanova and Jay Wright and Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels beat Kansas? Heck no. Heck no. But they would have a much better shot if they had Justin Moore. And, and I really pray as someone myself who tore his Achilles tendon at 29, he's doing it at 21, 22 years old. 
I can't imagine, you know, at the top of his college game, I can't imagine the emotions that are running through his mind and wishing that he could be out there with his teammates helping them in New Orleans at the Final Four. But we wish him a healthy and full recovery, and odds are we'll see him next year in the Big East, God willing. Enjoy the games, everybody. The Final Four is going to be something. Thanks for listening once again to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. So long.